so it was the beginning of December. Um, it was, I was a week behind where I needed to be and I kept taking these um, cheap uh, over-the-counter <laughs> pregnancy tests and all of them kept saying negative. But I was like, this isn't normal for me. So I went and got the big guns pregnancy sticks <laughs> and came back pregnant. And it was like December, I don't know, like fourth or fifth, like super early December. And she's like, hey, I got a Christmas present for you. So I'm walking in like, that's abnormal. I remember opening it and it's like a little, you know, black cover. And I remember opening it and I, I think when I saw the stick, I think I just threw it. So I was running errands all day on the 29th. Randy watched the boys. I was trying to get all of it that I could done that day. And I got home and as all pregnant women do, I needed to go to the bathroom again. So I went to the restroom and that's when um, my heart sunk deep, deep into my belly because <clears throat> that was the first time that I spotted blood. Um, but there was general, genuine fear in her face, and, and so that put me pretty straight, like, okay, well, go. I'll get there as soon as possible. So I um, went to the ER alone because we have two boys, and so he had to find some childcare as fast as he could. And again, this is Christmas, or it's almost New Year's Eve, so there were no seats left. I sat down on the hallway floor. I remember that, sterile and cold, and just remember sitting there thinking, I'm losing my baby. I just, I'm losing my baby. And then trying to really <clears throat> encourage myself in the faith of like, no, 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 come on. You don't know that, Willis. Um. I drive up there. It's just this feeling of lostness, I guess. This, um, you know, it's like getting onto a boat and just seeing the vastness of the ocean in front of you. And you're thinking, I can't do anything about all, like this is just overwhelming. It's too much for me. But we got in eventually at three in the morning, I believe it was, and um, they said the baby was measuring five weeks, um, that it, it isn't crazy and common to have some spotting, some bleeding in the beginning of your pregnancy. Um, my cervix is closed, so that does mean you are still pregnant, um, and said I needed to go home and rest. Put your home on go home rent and rest and they were gonna check my HCG count which is the pregnancy hormone in a woman's body and so they had their thing just wait just go home and wait and being a, a New Year's weekend we knew when the doctors are gonna be open on Monday on New Year's Day and so I have to wait even longer than a normal type of thing and so that was really hard um, so I think for me it was a lot of the business mode okay so we're gonna wait these four days out and then okay she had a new OB she was trying to get into but maybe we'll go see that one maybe we'll go see her old one and so just trying to figure out the nuts and bolts um, of how we're gonna do it was kind of, I think, my safety net for my escape from having to deal with it emotionally is just, okay, focus on her, focus on the details of what needs to happen and who didn't take care of the boys. And Yeah, so Friday morning, this is a week from when all of this started, uh, we got a phone call around one o'clock in the afternoon and it was my doctor, my OB, and she said, okay, so your numbers have gone down and so like you, a thousand points or you, you, you are definitely having a miscarriage. Uh, just remember dropping, like just physically dropping and hung up the phone and just had a good weep session, a good crying session of just, you know. It's finished. It's finished. My spirit is overwhelmed within me and my heart is laid waste. I'm weary with my sighing, and every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears, for I'm afflicted and needy. 
and my heart is wounded within me. My heart is in anguish, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day and you don't answer. And by night, but I have no rest. My tears have been my food both day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? For I've eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Don't be silent at my tears. For I'm a stranger with you. A sojourner like my father. Just turn your gaze away from me that I can smile again before I depart and I am no more. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in your faithfulness and in your righteousness. Amen. What uh, we're doing right now in the middle of the series called Soundtrack, and we're just like uh, the soundtrack is the emotional mover of movies and shows, uh, so emotions are also the movers of life. And without them, um, it's a pretty dull, non-good existence. And what we're noticing a lot in our culture these days, and, and probably every culture every day, is there's two ways that people normally deal with um, their emotions, whatever the emotion might be. Um, one group, um, which I fall into, is the stuffers. We just stuff them down. We neglect them. We re- almost reject those emotions. We don't want to talk about them, and we just kind of hide them um, that way, and they just don't exist. They're bad. Uh, the other group um, says, no, I- I've got to obey these emotions. If I feel this way, I am this way. If I feel like I'm a dog, I bark. Whatever different weird things our culture does. If I feel sad, then everything is sad, and nothing is good, and we're just dominated, and we're obsessed and overwhelmed by our emotions. And we really believe here that the Bible says there's a different way to go about it. Um, and we, I think there's a different way to go about it. And we want to talk about what that way is, how do we deal, and how do we process with these emotions. And the emotion that we're focusing on today, uh, if you haven't picked up on it already, um, and the question that we're trying to ask ourselves today is, how does Psalms 143, that's what we're going to be looking at today, how does Psalm 143 say that we can deal with loss or with pain, with sorrow, or with suffering? And I think there's four things that we can learn today. So if you're a note taker, these are good four things you can write down. So four things that help us deal with these things, uh, with this thing called sorrow. Um, one is speak up. Two is look in. Three is look out. And then four is look through. So speak up, look in, look out, and look through. Let's take those four and break them down. First of all, number one, speak up. Um, I love, if you just notice the, the two pages of um, Psalms that I read there, the different um, Psalters, uh, I love the fact that the number one theme of the book of Psalms is lamentations, to lament, to cry out. Um, it is the dominant theme in the book of Psalms. It's very well documented and in the Bible for a very, very specific reason, because God understands lamenting, and he wants you to say something and to bring things out. He provides space for it. Um, one of the quotes that is in is Psalm 39, it's a weird Psalm, because it's, if you read it, it's not like all the other psalms. Most psalms that lament, it's this guy talking about how terrible he feels, how sorrowful he feels, and then he ends with an uptick. With like, but I know you're faithful, God. I believe you're faithful. I know you're going to do good from it. Psalm 39 doesn't end that way. Um, it ends just with, he says, God, just depart from me so that I can die and be happy finally. And that's how it ends. No happy ending. Just boom. It's really raw and it's real because God wants and invites us into that space with him to say, hey, it's okay to talk to me. Let me know how you're feeling. It's okay to speak up. As a matter of fact, if you stuff and you hide these things, it's actually very, very damaging to you and what it's going to do to you psychologically, emotionally, definitely spiritually. 
And this is something that for me and Eleanor during this past um, couple months, um, the video she said the 29th, it was December 29th that um, we began this two-week process of finding out that we had lost our child, our number three. Um, and there's a lot of things you don't know to do. I don't know what to do. Like I told you, it's kind of just ocean, and you don't know where to go and how to do, but, but thank God for, for some community in my life that I was able to speak up and say, hey, here's what's going on, guys. I'm struggling. Um, I'm believe while we're waiting before we found out the final pronouncement. Man, we were all kinds of positive. We're like, God, we're hopeful. Please bring about restoration to my wife's body. And we kind of had those ups and downs of, of things, and eventually it was, it was just all bad news. And I love this church and, some, and the people that we've been able to make community with because they gave me a safe space to say, I'm hurt, I'm angry, I'm confused, I'm not. And if you don't speak up, if you stay isolated, it's the worst place to be. Anybody here that doesn't know this, please hear this part. When you are struggling with anything, anything, let alone pain and sorrow, the worst space to be is isolated and alone. Speak up. The word of God invites you to, I invite you to call me. I'll give you my number for service. Call, and we can just cry and yell and cuss and have a good time, okay? And we'll do it together. It's a safe spot. But again, and some of we laugh because we don't like cussing. That's okay. Um, God will save you too. But <laughs> it's okay to say, hey, I feel this way, God, and shake your fist. And the book of Psalms is an invitation into that. And Psalms 143, I think, is a great invitation. Look at how it starts. It says, hear my prayer, give ear and answer me. And all three of these words that I underline there in Hebrew are all asking for action, not just listen, but they're all the first word is shema, hear. Hear, but also do something. God, like, please, I'm asking you to interact. And if you don't say something, you don't do it. And look at how this guy, how David talks about these. I underlined here in verse 3 and 4. It feels like my soul has been persecuted. My, my, my life is crushed. I dwell in dark places. I'm dead. My spirit is overwhelmed. My heart is laid waste. Look at the rawness of this author. And, and for me, these aren't just words I read in a book. This is very synonymous with me and Eleanor right now. And, and when we think about number three or when we think about babies in general, it yeah, this is how I feel right now in this moment and these past couple of weeks. And probably every December 29th, the rest of my life, all of these emotions are going to come right back up to the surface. And I love that the psalmist is so real and gives us space and allows for us to speak up. So number one, if you don't catch anything, the first step, the first step, and again, all four of these things are a process that I am in the middle of. I'm not completed and perfected. But the first step you've got to do when you're experiencing any kind of pain. Let me just say this too, because some people do this and I, I don't like it at all. Pain is pain. I don't care if you stub your toe. I don't care if you lose your kid. Pain is pain. Sorrow is sorrow. So whatever you feel, please don't let people minimize your pain, but we'll talk about it in a minute. Don't maximize your pain either, but speak up, get it out of you. It's poison to hold that stuff in. You've got to speak up. That's our first thing we see there. The second thing we see, and then we're asking to do our steps and hear from me that I've been taking and taking now is look in. So number two, look in. So speak up, but then look in. I love verse two. It's a really weird verse because the first verse of the psalm, he's saying, he's lamenting, God, I feel sorrowful. I feel terrible. I feel crushed. I feel dead. I feel all these things. He goes, answer me. Talk to me. Look at me. Listen to me, God. Answer me. Enter in with me. And then verse two, but don't enter judgment though because who in your sight can live? Nobody's righteous. Nobody's good. Nobody's perfect. It's a quick little thing and he moves on. But it's a really, really important thing to take a moment and look in. And I would invite you to some space that I've been doing in this process for me of looking in and saying, okay, 
okay, nobody's righteous. How, how am I not righteous in this process, God? What are some things going on? And so I started asking myself some qualifications questions. Okay, so the why game. I don't know if your kids ever play the why game with you and it drives you nuts. Um, but, but like in teachers, always get that. Well, why, teacher? But why? Well, why? Well, why? It's bad to do with other people, but it's really good to do with yourself. Okay, it's annoying for the people, healthy for you, to say, okay, why do I feel this ocean crashing on top of me, weight of sorrow? Well, the answer is probably because, for me, because I lost something incredibly valuable to me. Yeah, but why can I not shake it? What is that thing? Why am I looking to this thing, my children, as beautiful as they are? They're great things, but they're not good gods. They're great things, but they're not good gods. And the reason why I feel so sorrowful it's probably because I'm giving maybe a little too much weight to my children. And, and for you, maybe your job, your money, your looks, you, whatever it might be. We feel this way because we think that this thing is our identity. Listen, I'm not a white man. I'm not a Jewish man. I'm not an American, whatever Anne I can think of right now. Okay? I'm not. I'm not those things. That's not who I am. I'm not a, I'm not a pastor. That's not my identity. It's not my meaning and purpose in life is to raise good children. That's a part of it. It's an expression of my real center, but it's, if it's the center of who I am, it's shaky foundation. And if you look in and say, but why? And I think a lot of people think Christianity is just kind of just, I don't think, just believe it, but think about this for a second. Why do I feel this way? Why am I setting up this, my work, my relationships, my kids, my money, my job, whatever it is for you, people's approval. Why am I looking for that thing to give me life when it can be taken away at any moment? That's shaky ground. Don't do it. That's foolish. Look in. Think about that, okay? I think the second thing I mean look in is, and this is a little strange to me. To, I'm still processing through it, but it's a really good point that I got from somebody else. Is we need to be a people who pursue passionately not knowing why we suffer. We've got to pursue it. We've got to stop wanting to know why. Let me, let me explain what I mean by this, okay? Look at the book of Job, okay? The book of Job. If you don't know the book of Job and the story of Job, here's how it begins. God is up in heaven having like a, a business meeting or something, and, he, and Satan comes in. He's a part of the team, which is weird. We'll get to later, okay? And Satan comes in, and God says, Satan, come on over here. Have a seat, buddy. Have you considered my servant Job? He's righteous. He's blameless. He loves me. He serves me. He fears me. It's, his love is pure and it's perfect. And God's like, I, I know this about Job. And Satan goes, no, he doesn't. Job is like every other human being. Look at all the good, look at all the kids he has. Look at all the wealth. Look at all the prosperity. Look at all the health he has. He doesn't love you for you. He loves you for all the things you give him. And God goes, oh, really? You know more than me. Let's find out. Take all that away from it and watch what happens with Job. At the end of the story, fast forward through like 40-something chapters. At the end of the story, Job never finds out why he went through all this. He never knows what we know. Right? God didn't sit down at the end of the book and say, hey, Job, by the way, bro, quick little aside, all of this rubbish you've gone through, all the pain and hurt and sorrow you've gone through, millions of people for the next thousands of years are going to be encouraged by your faithful testimony. And, and for, you're going to be one of the greatest pictures of, uh, pieces of literature ever written because of your faith. He never, ever hears that. Now, why is that so important? Okay, why is it so Because how does it feel to be used? And, you know, if you've ever had somebody approach you, and, and they want to like be your friend, like kind of spend time with you. And then eventually they kind of like slide in like a request. Hey, do you think you could introduce me to so-and-so? And you're like, no. And then all of a sudden they're not your friend anymore. And what have you realized? You haven't been befriended. You've been networked. Have you ever felt that way? And if, and if I'm a little bit more serious, ladies, how does it feel 
when a guy, maybe you're dating or interested in, you don't want to have sex, and you want. How does he treat? Well, I'm out of here. Peace out. You're not, man, he didn't love you. He wanted that. And if a guy ever pressures you, by the way, he don't love you. Get out. Quick. Okay, thank you. I'm trying to save you. Sorry, stop it. What does that feel like, ladies? And by the way, that's not just men who do that. That's all mankind who treats people that way. Let's make sure we're clear about that. But how does that feel to be exploited, to be used, to be manipulated, not loved for you and who you are, but only what you can give somebody? How does that feel? But this is how Satan knows. And let's give Satan his due. He's a pretty good student of human nature. He knows we all do this to God. A lot of us in here, myself, I have a long track record of this. We follow God because of what he gives us. When I was a kid, and they say, hey, look, here's heaven. Look how great it is. And they explain the streets of gold and all that good stuff. And over here, look, it's hell, fire, death, pain. Ah, Which one would you choose? What kind of kid's going to not choose heaven? Of course. Oh, God, it's going to give me heaven if I trust him? Sure. I don't really care about God. I just care about what he can give me. And see, here's the beautiful thing about suffering. Here's why we have to embrace not knowing why. Because when we want to know why, when we say, God, if I could just know why I'm going through all this, what we're saying is, you're not enough. I'm still in this for me. I want you to give me some knowledge that this is going to work out for something good. And if I have that knowledge, okay, well, then I can have peace. Because you by yourself, you're not enough for me. You'll never be a pure, you'll never know, excuse me. God will never know, maybe. And Satan definitely won't know that you're a pure lover of God without any expectations until suffering comes. It's needed. It's good. That's why James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kind, knowing that the testing of your faith will develop perseverance and perseverance da, 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 will lead to maturity. You got to have it. It's so important not to just be okay with not knowing why, but we need to seek out not having an answer and to stop asking that question, why is this happening to me? It's a, hey, I've asked it a lot the past few weeks. I get it, but it's not going to help. Let's move through that. I hope that makes sense to somebody. Okay, so first of all, we realize we got to speak up. Speak up, okay? Second of all, we realize we got to look in, see what's going on with us. Why am I feeling so like this? Why do I need to know why from God? Why is God not enough? We need to think about that. Okay, but third, we need to look out. I don't know that I'll ever know why. Um, and then it became more of like, okay, so what does it mean to mourn something you've never held, you've never smelled, you've never looked upon? Um, would it have been a boy or girl or dark hair, blonde hair, green eyes, blue eyes? I mean, all the infinite questions that you run through your head of. Uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the songs that really has meant a lot to me over the years, especially this week that kind of ties into that is the old hymn, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, which the guy Horatio Spaccio wrote it after immense pain and loss of his children, uh, which I don't ever want to understand. And, and the line that really got me this, this process for us was, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Yeah. And it was interesting to me, it just really hit me because he didn't say, I feel like saying it is well with my soul. I want to say it is well with my soul, saying, God, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And one of her family members really encouraged us with this is stop asking and don't allow yourself to ask what you alluded to earlier. Ellen alluded to earlier. Stop asking, okay, God, why? Why is this happening? Why? And stop being a victim in this and stop doing that. But ask God, what do you want me to do with it? Big reason for that is if it's about us, we are dead. We are nothing but rubble, dust. Um, and I know and I believe and I have the faith that 
if it becomes, if it is about Christ, then there's a life, eternal life at stake. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest things that has plagued me throughout this is if number three's death, Willis baby number three's death is in vain. And that is tormenting at times because that means for me, the memory of number three is obsolete, it's gone. And what would make some of this have a glimmer of hope to it for me is if baby number three and, and the process of suffering and sorrow that we've experienced and are experiencing can lead and draw someone closer to Christ, can spark and ignite a flame that has been dormant for a long time in somebody, where it can comfort somebody who has been in an immense amount of loss and sorrow themselves. That for me is okay. I, can I can keep that. going, I can keep mm -hmm. marching, I can keep moving forward because your kingdom is being advanced. Life is being brought in death. And that, that is exactly what the cross was. It was life being brought through death. And um, for me, that's where I can, if I were to look at number three and stare him or her in the face, I could say, I'm, your memory lives, you live on and I get to touch you and I get to smell you and I get to see you in the faces of others that you have inspired and, and that Christ has used you to draw men unto him through all of this. And that that's a life well lived, number three. Like, you did it and you didn't even walk the earth. I love that woman. Guys always marry better than yourself. It's a good strategy. Right, Joplin? Yeah. This is where the good just talk moves to a sermon for me, looking out. Anybody can, and everybody should speak out, speak up. Everybody should look at, I don't care what your beliefs are. But for us in Christianity, we have a resource here. And we've got to use it. And that is now looking out. And the psalmist hits this so well in verse 5. Look at how he turns from 1 to 4. I'm sorrowful. I'm dead. I feel terrible. I'm miserable. I'm just horrible. And then look what he says just out of the blue. He goes, I remember your, the days of old. I meditate. That's not like a one-time thing. I meditate on all of your doings, and I ponder, which means to flip over and examine. I ponder on the work of your hands. As he's thinking, looking outside of himself and looking at God, look at what he says next. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as a parched land longs for water, was the implication there. People want to get to that idea of, I want to have a deep intimacy with Jesus, but we don't ever think about him. We just think about ourselves, and we look in all the stinking time. Me, 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 me. And God's saying, you know, the psalmist is saying here, what I'm begging you, and I think all of the Bible is begging you, is look outside of yourself. Not get over yourself. I said that last service. Don't get over. I'm not saying get over your emotions. It's real. You speak up. But look outside of them as well. Add to your looking in, looking out. Look outside of yourself. Say, God, what are you doing? What do you want me to do? Like Eleanor said in the video, again, why, I'm, why this is happening? Who can ever answer that question? And remember, we don't want to even pursue that. But what do, you want, what do you want, God? What do you get out of this? You realize the story of the Bible is a story of God's glory. It's a story of his plan to redeem all of mankind. And you and I are a part of it, but we're not the point of his story. Let me say that again for a few, because that can change your life. It's changing mine right now. You and I are part of his story. You're not the point of his story. Do you know that there's 7 billion people on this planet and you're one? 
You look outside of yourself, you realize all over this globe there's suffering and pain and sorrow and loss. You're not an anomaly. You're not the only one. You realize human history has been going on for, let's say, roughly 6,000 years. You can argue that if you want later. Just this argument. 6,000 years, you're going to live maybe 85 if you're lucky. You're not that significant. The universe is not center in and around you or I. There's people in Houston that are suffering. There's people last night, kids, teenagers, who have been kidnapped, drugged, and sold for sex some 10, 20, 30 times last night. And I can sit up here and say, I'm the, oh, woe is me, I'm the only one. Come on. Come on. Yeah, feel what you feel. It's real. It's raw. But we've got to get to this point where we begin to look outside of ourselves and say, God, what do you want? What are you doing? What does it do for you? And what that begins to do is take your mind off of feeling so terrible. For so you can begin the healing process. So you can be effective, not just for God and his kingdom, but also just for your fellow man. Does that make sense? So first of all, look, speak up. You got something going on, speak up. Second of all, look in, try to figure out why, what's going on with me. And then thirdly, look out, see what else is going on around you. There's a lot and be ready to do something about it. Okay. And then fourth, lastly, Look through. Look through your pain and sorrow. And this is hard, but so oh, powerful. Look through your sorrow and your pain and look at Jesus. The best song ever written in my mind is one, if you get an email from me, it's on the bottom of it. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace looking through Jesus. Look through your pain at Jesus. Because here's, let me tell you something. I don't know why on earth it's good that my child died. I have no clue. I, and whatever you're going through, I, I don't know why. I have, I'll never know why. I'll never get an answer for you on that. It's just not going to happen, at least not a satisfactory answer. It's never okay for me. But, but I don't know why, but I know that it's not because God does not love you. Because look at the cross. Look at the cross. You can't say, well, God, let this happen to me because he doesn't care about me. He's a big bully. Look at the cross. I mean, I, I unwillingly lost a child. I didn't decide it. I didn't orchestrate it. I didn't plan it. But he did. He willingly planned to watch his son be tortured, beaten, abused, and slowly murdered unjustly for you. That's an amazing love. That's why we sing about it. That's why church is what it is. Because we look through the rubbish of life and say, God, we know you love you. We know you love us. So I don't know why, but I know it's not because you don't love me. So I can take that off the, off the table. But secondly, I also know it's not because he's not powerful. Because look through your pain and look at the grave. Jesus ain't in there no more. The grave's empty. He's risen from the dead. And a lot of people have, have claimed that they raised somebody else from the dead. Jesus is the only person who said, I raised myself. I was laying there dead. I'm up. Let's go. Like the power and the majesty of Jesus to do that. And again, if you're a skeptical person like me in here, and you're like, well, I don't know about this whole raising from the dead business. I dare you to go research it. Go find it. Again, we can't historically, empirically, 100% prove any historical fact. But there's more evidence for Jesus' resurrection than any other fact we have in antiquity. So use your brain. Go research it. Check it out. The resurrection of Jesus is as close to as 100% historical fact we can get to. And it's amazing to think about, wow, how did he... With, there, and then, whoa, it can't be. I'm going through this because God didn't will it. God didn't, is incapable of stopping it. So again, I don't know why, but he definitely loves you, and he's definitely all-powerful. Those are irrefutable for me. 
irrefutable. So I don't know again what's going on, but I love, I love the last five verses, six verses of this Psalm 143. Check it out on the screen, verse 7 through 12. It's too long to read. I just underline some things. Look at what David does now. Follow his progression, right? Woe is me. I feel terrible. I feel terrible. But I remember you. I remember you. I think about you, God. And when he thinks about God and he meditates and ponders on who God is, look at what he says. Answer me. Don't hide your face. Let me hear you. Teach me. Deliver me. Teach me. Let your good spirit lead me. Revive me. Bring my soul out of trouble. Cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. Look at what he does. He goes from thinking about God and his history and his plan. And he goes, okay, I know who you are. And don't forget, by the way, let's not forget verse 2. Remember verse 2 when David's saying, nobody's righteous. Nobody's good. I'm definitely not. David knows that, right? But he still has the confidence to go before God and spend half of this whole song on asking God for stuff. Where does this confidence come from? It comes from this remembering God. And when he remembers the story of God's glory and the story of the Bible, he knows that God says, listen, one day a Messiah is going to come, a king. And he is going to right all the wrongs. He's going to heal all the broken things. And David was looking forward to one day the promise of God would be fulfilled. And look at the confidence that he has. God, I can come to you and ask you anything because I know who you are based off of a promise. Now, if David, all he had was a promise, we have so much more than a promise. We have the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. We don't have this idea that one day God will do it. He's already done it. And if David can have this kind of confidence, so can we. And that's why I love Paul. If you ever memorize or read a book in the Bible, Romans 8, that's the space to go. It's called the Great Eight. And it ends this way. Paul says this, which I think David would echo. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. And in case I forgot anything, any created thing will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm convinced. You see the word he used there? It's a great word. It means he analyzed it, he thought about it, he pondered it, and he is resolutely not moving on this point. That God, not even death is going to separate me from my greatest joy and treasure in life. And that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian. A lot of you in this room take that name on, but I hope you know what it means. It means you don't love God for what he can do for you. You just love him for who he is himself. He's so satisfying to your soul that you say, God, take everything away from me and I'm, I'm good. I'm hurting. I'm crushed, but I'm not abandoned. I'm perplexed, but I'm not dismayed. I'm struck down, but not destroyed. Right? These light, in my, I mean, if I'm thinking about the next 10,000 years with God, then what's, then what's going on right now feels like light and momentary affliction. But I just think about what's going on right now, it's, it's destroying me if that's all I do. But thank God I have Jesus who says, I'm everything for you, Randy. And here's what we believe at our church. We want our church members, and I desperately want to be Christ-centered. We say that a lot, and this is what that means. That means that at the center of my life, the bedrock foundation in which my joy and contentment stands on is not on my job, it's not on my money situation, it's not on my relationships, it's not on my kids, it's not on how awesome I am, how good I look, how much approval I have, how much comfort I have, how much security I have. It's not based on any of that other stuff. Because here's the thing, think of, again, use your brain. Can you say what Paul says in Romans 8 about anything else in life, that neither death can separate you from it. Just we'll pick the first one. We won't even go to the whole list. Just the first one. Death can separate you from your love, can it? Whatever your thing is in life, the thing you value and want the most, death can take it away from you, right? Your job. There's a lot of ways to lose your job. My son, my daughter, it's gone. 
And I don't know. I'm not promised. I'm sorry this busts some people's bubble. I'm not promised to see them in heaven. Heaven is not heaven because number three is there. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. And I'm convinced, and this is what it means. If you don't know the definition of creed, this is what it means. I'm convinced that that's enough for me. That's more than enough for me. I don't need this job to work out. I don't need this money situation. I know it's stressful. Money is tough, man. I get that. Come on. I get that. But I need this money situation, and then I can relax and be comfortable. No, 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 no. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian means I'm so satisfied in who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do, that nothing else can destroy me. Nothing else can shake, shake me, but not destroy me. This is what it means to be convinced. And I look, I look at these last five words of this Psalm 143. And my favorite five words, he ends this whole thing with, For I am your slave. Ki ani avdecha in Hebrew. Ki ani avdecha. Three words that are so beautiful. I love how he ends all of this. Because in your English translation, it's going to say servant a lot. It's a terrible translation for us. Because we think of servant like Jeffrey from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or like Downton Abbey, the people downstairs, right? We think of servants like somebody you pay, you take care of. No, no, a slave. Slave doesn't bring good feelings to us in our 21st century mind. But look at how he ends. because God... I'm your slave. Ki ani avdecha. Slaves don't have wills. They don't get to make decisions. They don't get to have emotions unless their master tells them to do it. And he's going through all these emotions. And he's going through all this stuff. And he's saying, God, you're in control. I follow you. I speak when you tell me to speak. Ki ani avdecha. You're the master and I am your slave. And here's something. If you don't know this about you, everybody in here is a slave to something. Everybody. If you desire people's approval more than anything else, whoever that person that you desire their approval, they have control over you and they master you and you're their slave. If you desire security, then either money if you're a guy or a guy if you're a girl, or that's, you think that's your security sometimes and we're slave to, do I have enough money? Oh crap, and I'm doing the budget, right, Eleanor, for 500 hours and I'm trying to figure out every dollar, how are we gonna make this? We're a slave to it. Everybody does this. Everybody is a slave to something. Why not be a slave to the person who gave his son willingly to die for you and not even death can separate you from him? Why not? Does, that, does anything in this world make more sense to you than that? Because I love my children. There is nothing more powerful, more beautiful, more valuable to me on this earth outside of my children. I, my wife, I mean, any wife, any mom, go, go do something wrong to their kids. See what happens to you. Right? They'll rip your eyeballs out, throw them at you, and laugh. Touch my kid again. I'll do it again. There's nothing more valuable than kids. But listen to me. As great as our kids are, they're not life. They're a byproduct of life. Praise God for them. I love them. I lament for one. But they will never give me what my heart desires. And they can always be taken away. Here's the thing about masters. All masters will fail you Excuse me. If you fail them, we'll never forgive you. Go, go fail at work. Go fail in a relationship. Fail at it. And they'll never forgive you. And if you get them, they'll never satisfy you eternally. But Jesus will do both. If you fail him, he'll forgive you always. And if you get him, he'll satisfy you eternally. What else is out there in the world worth pursuing and thinking about today? See, after, even after losing my child, who... <laughs> I want more than anything right now. I'll take a sleepless night for a year. I'll take diaper and poo and pee again. I don't care if I could, oh, I want them so badly, so badly. 
But even if that doesn't happen, I can still sit here confidently and pray and say, I'm convinced that he's more than enough. More than enough. Not just barely, but he's more than enough to make me satisfied. Here's my question. Are you that convinced? And it's not a rhetorical question. I want you to really think through that. Is this, is this, if I've been playing church for a while, I say the amens, I read the book, I go to prayer, I go to group, I go on the mission field, I do all these great things we should all do. But I center my life around other stuff. Can you say with full confidence, I'm convinced that I don't need a thing. I'm completely content emotionally and every other possible way. I'm content and I'm convinced Jesus is enough for me. If you're not, today's the day to change that. God wants to do a new thing in you today. God wants to do a new thing in me today. I need a new thing in me today. And you do too. And maybe some of us have never done that and we need something to change. Maybe you've been playing the church game for a while. I say, man, why are you talking about this Jesus? And yeah, you're right. All these things I've been sending my life around, they're, they're good things, they're great things, but they're terrible gods. Terrible. Children are amazing, a gift from God, but they're not worth worshiping. And you need to repent for the first time of your bad worship, your idolatry. You need to say, God, whom have I in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth. And I've said, maybe you said those words before. Maybe you had a little prayer you did one time. But today you say, Randy, I've got to do this right. Something inside of me just is, is like a tingle or a fire inside of me. And if I don't change today, right now, then I can't move forward. Because here's my greatest nightmare way worse than losing all, all of my children, my wife, and all you lovely people. Way worse than that is losing my Jesus. I can't imagine. I, 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 that's the biggest nightmare for me. And I think for some of you too, or we have a moment, would you just bow your head, close your eyes. I want you to, I'm gonna give you a moment of silence and then we're gonna have some time to pray and, and to, to do some business on that. Every head, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you just to be honest with yourself. Look in a little bit for right now. Say, am I convinced? Is Jesus really enough for me? Or do I need to know why I'm going through what I'm going through? Do I need something else besides him? And if that's the case, and that breaks your heart that you are that way, and you want to change today's the day for something new to happen. If you're here today, every head's bowed, every eye's closed, nobody's looking around, just me and you and Jesus. And you say, Randy, I, I've heard about Jesus. I've been around church and I've played the game, but I've never surrendered all. I've surrendered most things, but today I want to give it all up and I want all of Jesus. Would you just look up at me real quick and then you can look back down at that shade today. Thank you. Thanks. You can look back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Today's the day. Something new is about to happen. We're going to sing a song and we're going to worship him and we're going to have people who are ready to talk with you and they're going to lead you to some next steps. I invite you to stand on your feet right now. I'm going to pray. When I say amen, our people are already going to be here ready for you. And once you come down, just do some business. Or if you need to sit there in your chair and do some business with God and say, God, can you create something new inside of me today? I need you. I want you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, please don't hide your face from us today. Don't hide Jesus from us today. God, I pray that you would not hide your spirit from us. Don't withhold good things to us, Lord. 
We are your children, and some of us in here are in extreme pain and sorrow. And God, we need healing today. We need you to come in and to overwhelm our sense of loss by our sense of gaining you. And God, there's some of us in here that say, God, we need new life. Would you come and be with us today?